Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better. And dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the show. <laughs> Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in. Turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Our first tale tonight comes from author Jeff Harton, entitled... Leave your flashlights at home. I've been a national park ranger for close to two decades. Protocols have changed a lot in that time. I write this just to try to keep people safe for the next time you venture to the big outdoors. Let me tell you about the last park I worked. I can't be too specific about the location for my job's sake. Anyway, we had clusters of campsites that we rotated annually. 
The idea was to prevent one group from getting overused and worn down, let nature regrow a little bit. The winter had just passed, and our big summer season was a few months away. I'm sent out to check the suitability of the campsites to decide which ones need time to recover and which ones we can open up. Winters here are cold. Not too many people camp during the winter, aside from rugged masochists and Boy Scout troops led by people who believe they are rugged masochists. I didn't expect to find much out of the ordinary. The first site was clear and ready to go. As I'm trekking to the next site, I see what looks like some debris and junk down a ways in a river valley. Looks like some jackasses set up an unauthorized camp down there. Usually, when that happens, they leave garbage and smoldering fires. This is going to be a pain to clear up. I approach, seeing the telltale wreckage of what must have been one hell of a party. Crap scattered everywhere, the skeleton of tents still raised up, and blood. I stop, and time stops with me. Pools of blood are spread out along the ground, next to signs of something heavy being dragged into the bush. I pull my radio off my belt and pause. I then pull my Glock 22 out of my holster and rack one round. I'm a certified law enforcement officer, but I haven't had to use my gun in a long time. I quickly look around for any movement, then get on my radio and call in for backup. While I wait, I listen. Silence. Silence in nature isn't good. Pray get quiet when they sense a predator. I hope all the birds are still uh, on my account. I edge forward slowly, looking for anyone or anything. A shredded plastic cooler. A tent that has been annihilated with more blood splashed on the walls and inside. People died here, I know it. You can't lose that much blood and just walk off. But no people. Shreds of clothes and a little viscera drying all the damn flies here. But no people. I've seen bears rummage through camps and destroy anything that looked edible. There are wild hogs here that cut trails through the deep brush and are even more dangerous than the bears. But this isn't either of them. The devastation here, it's just too much. Some scourge of God came through here and just ripped everything to pieces. Finally, backup arrives, and I'm sent to report to headquarters. They even brought medics out there. I don't know why there's no one here to save. One of the new recruits vomits at the scene. I'm glad to get the hell out of here. I get back, and HQ is a buzz. Only four people will work here, but calls are ringing, printers printing, and the air feels electrified. The manager sees me and signals me to his office. He's pale, ashen-looking, with bloodshot eyes. I sit down by his desk, and he goes to the door and locks it. I've never seen him lock that door. He asks me what I saw. I tell him, uninterrupted. He looks even paler afterward, and his hands tremble a bit. There's a very long pause, and I expect more questions. He doesn't ask any. I leave, then hear the door lock behind me. 
After a few minutes, I hear him call someone up, and a long, low conversation ensues. I never see him again. Word comes down from on high we're assigned a new manager, one who excels at what he calls crises. His first order of business, a controlled burn of the unauthorized camp and the sites closest to it. I'm not arguing. I watch the smoke rise in the distance and pray that's the end of it. New orders. Relocate the existing campsite closer to HQ. Before we do that, we stake out a few trail cameras at the new locations just to make sure it's not in the middle of a nesting ground. We put up a few cameras, pointed at the hog trails through the brush for good measure. A couple days pass and we go out to collect the footage. The new manager takes it all and starts studying it in his office. A couple hours into reviewing, he freaks out, starts screaming and yelling, gets on the phone, calling up the line, spitting more obscenities. He spends the rest of the day and that night in the office, calling up specialists and planners. The next morning, I show up for a meeting. The manager doesn't look like he's slept. Massive changes afoot. He lays out our new plans, including massively bright lampposts, circling the park border, as well as floodlights around the ranger station. Campsites need to be moved even closer in. Clear lines of sight from the light if possible. I butt in, telling him that that defeats the point of going camping. If you're just going on a short walk through the grass, then setting up so close you can see the parking lot. He tells me to shut up, and that's just the start. The park now closes at sundown, sharp. Also, we're not required to have a long gun on our person at all times. Now, it isn't uncommon for rangers to carry an AR-15 or a Remington 870 shotgun going out in the deep woods. There are wild and rabid animals out there. The real concern are massive pot growers. These aren't your chill neighbor who hides a few plants behind the tomatoes. They run the spectrum from large-scale suppliers who like their privacy and dislike law enforcement to anti-government crazies who think we have no right over them, the true patriots. Both groups have a few common points. They tend to be well-armed, they do not like lawmen, and they won't shy away from taking a pot shot at some dumb poor ranger who finds himself in their fields. Keep in mind Elliot Ness, Mr. I fought Al Capone and won, and got scared off busting up Appalachian moonshiners because they constantly sniped at him in the foothills. They shoot to kill. Those are the reasons we keep the big guns around. Not routine patrols. I drew the short straw and got the overnight shift. Manager tells me more changes to protocol will be listed when I return. Overnights used to be easy. Monitor the radios... Bust up the parties if needed. Check for poachers if they're operating nearby. Make sure the forest doesn't burn down. I clock in and, per instructions, go to the gun cage. My, things have changed. Our shotguns have new rifled barrels so they can handle the solid slugs we've been issued. That's the kind of firepower you want to take down a charging bear. God forbid you ever need it. The AR-15s have been stepped up, too. The old 15-round magazines have been replaced by 30-round ones. 
Someone even snuck us in hollow point rounds. Makes no damn sense. Shooting in the woods, you need full metal jacket ammo so the rounds don't go wild when they touch a twig. Hollow points just exist to do more tissue damage. This is ridiculous. This is overkill. We're not in a war zone. We don't need this firepower. Next to the radio, there were new instructions. Now, we're not allowed to directly respond to emergency calls. We can reply, figure out what the next issue is. Then uh, we report to a new phone number I don't recognize. Time passes slowly tonight. I'm not even allowed to leave the building until sunup. A few eventful nights pass. The new floodlights and lampposts are frying my eyes. It's so damn bright out there, a blind man could see. A week later, some kid, they roll into the lot. They grab their backpacks and start hiking up the ridge. I know what they're up to. No one has booked a campsite that night. Cheap young ones going on a campout that will be a raging party. I wait for the sun to go down, confirming they're not out for a day hike. I call my manager to report. He instructs me to call the new number. I report up to them now. A curt voice answers the phone. He asks my park, then pauses. He asks the issue. A bunch of kids on an unauthorized site. Do I go up uh, and break it up? I can see the campfire out the ridge right now. No, don't leave the building. Do not attempt communication. That is all. Report if there are any developments. Right after daybreak, the manager rides up. It's real early. Have you seen them? Did they leave? No, the car's still there. Let them rest. They're probably all hung over. He curses non-stop. He then goes inside to make a call. I'm outside looking up the ridge when he exits the station. One AR-15 in his hand, another one strapped across his back, Glock on his hip. He marches single-mindedly towards his car. I try to ask him what in God's name he's doing, but he isn't listening or responding. He takes a jerry can of gasoline from his car and marches up the ridge. I yell after him to no reply. I consider following him, but that doesn't seem like a good idea. I go back inside and call the number. The same curt voice, the same direct questions. Yeah, the manager went up to that campsite, armed to the teeth and carrying gasoline. What the hell do I do? Stay there. Do not interfere. Backup is inbound. Report if there are any developments. About the same time, I start to see smoke wafting off the ridge. Two vans ride into the lot at screaming speed. A dozen men, heavily armed and armored, exit quickly. I go out to check. Who are you guys? What's going on? The men are all lined up with that impeccable military precision. One of them, a commander, I assume, exits the vehicle last. He says, which direction did he go? I mean, he's up there, I point at the increasing smoke. The men fan out and start jogging up the ridge. I hear rifles cocking as they leave. I try to shout after them, but no response. I look at the vans they came in, large, nondescript. They just say DOI response team on the side. Half hour later, they return, dragging the manager with them. He is bound in zip ties. 
He screams, I did what needed to be done. Trust me, it's worse than they thought. We can't stop this. Burn it all. They throw him in the back and sedate him. The commander approaches me, my neck hairs, bristle in cold fear. Need to see the office. All computers and anything with a hard drive is coming with me. He mentioned videotapes. I need those too. I unlock the doors and they ransack the place. Everything gets taken. Printed reports from the last few years disappear in those vans. The videotapes get bagged up and held by the commander himself. He studies the gun cage. Cute. You're out of your league, Miss Finally, they found everything they looked for, and the commander tells me, Call the number. Tell them it's contained. You need a new superior. Also, don't talk about this to anyone. They leave, and just on cue, the fire brigade and a few news vans show up. The fire's contained, the news reports say. Rumors of missing campers are unsubstantiated at this time. Still, the rumors alone are enough to scare off the seasoned campers. The quick change-up of managers is chalked up to bureaucracy, and the press dies down after a week or two. The new manager is very good at dealing with them. Thankfully, with no new campers, and our now even shorter open hours, we can get more work done around here. Rebuilding the station took some time, and we just set up the new campsites. They're practically spitting distance from the station. Nothing dramatic happens for a few days. Then, on a whim, the manager tells us to set up some cameras around the station and the campsites. There's usually so much human activity around here. All you see are some raccoons, maybe a rare hungry bear, but we humor them and then set them up all around. A couple days pass, and we collect the footage. I play poker with one of the rookies while the manager watches hours of footage on an empty but brilliantly illuminated parking lot. Then he gets the footage around the station. Screams come from the office. We barge in, and he's stamping on the camera hard drives, gibbering things I can't understand. Along the lines of, Told me it was clean, safe, no recent activities, Bull crap here. I'm not going to do it. He barks at us to leave. Later he makes a call. Rookie goes up to the door and listens in. Rookie comes back, reporting. Yeah, he's demanding a transfer. Says they lied to him. Something about they didn't do their jobs properly. He's not prepared or equipped here. Then I just heard the phone click and some sobbing. Hours later, my manager exits the office. His shoulders are slumped, defeated. We cut our hours even further, practically open on weekends only. We'll have a full staff ready those days, but a skeleton crew the rest of the time. Campers are required to check in to one of the closest sites. No campsite, and they're told to leave. We are not authorized to leave the station after dark under any circumstances. In an emergency, do not call 911. Call the number and do exactly what they say. We draw straws to see who gets overnight shifts. Why we need to stay overnight if we can't do anything is beyond me. I asked the manager about it, and he just said the standard protocol is to have someone on hand to report any irregularities overnight. I have to work my overnight shift. I keep my phone close, the number dialed in, ready if I need to call. 
It is a bad night. I just wind up, pacing around with my shotgun, glancing into the bright floodlights, trying to see what, what's past them. I hear crickets, and, and that relaxes me. Prey is quiet when predators around. It is a long night. The next night, my manager draws a short straw. He seems resigned. In the end, we all have to take a turn. He brings the brightest damn tactical flashlight I've ever seen. Said he bought it just uh, because he's afraid of the dark. He isn't, really. He's afraid of the things in the dark. I get a phone call. 3 a.m. It's him. Get over here now and bring guns! What? You have a damn arsenal. Now! Oh, I swear to God I screwed up. Oh, man, I think they attracted to the light. I called that number and all they said was backup would be here in the morning. Oh, damn, damn, damn. I hear the piercing staccato of gunshots. A pause, more gunshots. Screaming, scuffling. And the line goes dead. I call the number. A new, terse voice answers. Look, I work at... Park. I just got off the phone with... I just spoke with... What can you report? Something bad happened. It's serious. I heard gunshots. We'll have backup there as soon as possible. Did he say anything else? Yeah, he said he thought they were attracted to the light. Doesn't make sense to me. Interesting. Thank you for your report. The park is now closed. You'll be reassigned. Goodbye. Click. Officially, the park was closed to be scheduled for a controlled burn. Let the old trees die and make room for new ones. There was nothing in the official report about what happened to the manager on duty. The public understanding was bureaucracies need to be shaken up on occasion. No one asked any more questions. I get transferred to a new park halfway across the country. Change of scenery and beautiful. They've got some odd rules here, too. Don't go far after dark and don't carry a flashlight. I'm concerned about why. Why can't you use a flashlight at night when you need one? They won't tell me. Be safe, everyone. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Our final story for this evening is brought to you by Holm Chill. Entitled... Turn it off. I rested my arms behind my head, skim-reading the credits of a movie I'd just watched. After seeing them through about halfway, I lifted myself from the sofa and walked to the kitchen, stretching my arms out above me. I opened the fridge door and found a full carton of juice, so I sat down on the kitchen counter by the window cracked open the lid and took several long, noisy gulps. When I couldn't drink any more, I gasped till I didn't knew where and wiped my mouth on the back of my hand. My evenings were uneventful around this time of summer. It was about 9.15 p.m. on a Saturday in July. School was out for the holidays and my parents had gone to visit my aunt and uncle who lived by the coast. They'd still be gone for about two more weeks. I declined the invitation to join them. I didn't dislike the place or my relatives, but we usually stayed there so long that I'd miss most of summer break, and I'd truthfully rather spend it with my friends in town. I was a good kid who knew how to wash clothes and use an oven and generally not an idiot, so they let me stay at the house so long as I kept it clean. As I sat, I looked out into the garden to check for... Anything scary in the dark. It was empty and black. I kind of wish we had a pet. A dog or a cat would be nice about now. But their hair always made me sneeze and my eyes go red and itchy. With that in mind, my dad said no, even though I wouldn't mind it. 9.22 p.m. I put the rest of the juice carton back in the fridge door and went back over to the window. Hoisting myself onto the counter again, I glanced out to the garden and identified the shapes, one by one, to make sure everything was in its place. The bushes were their usual shape. Two small trees stood together by the back fence, and a metal table with four chairs sat casually on the patio. I like to check these things, which is largely why I wasn't scared of the dark. I would always go up to investigate small noises in the night, and I hated sleeping with my face to the wall. If someone was in my room at night, I'd rather know about it, so at least there was the faintest chance of getting away somehow. This meant that my worries were quickly put to rest, as I either found nothing downstairs but the radiator popping with the heat, or opened my eyes to see an empty bedroom. Not knowing what could be making the odd noises coming from the kitchen or on the stairs or in my room is what makes my skin creep. 9.30 p.m. 
I got down from the counter and wandered back into the living room to turn off the TV and decided to take the rest of the juice upstairs. I went back into the kitchen, opened the fridge door, and stopped. Turning my head to focus inside, I could see someone was standing in the garden. I shut the fridge door and turned off the lights so they couldn't see me so easily. I moved slowly to lean on the kitchen counter to get a better look. All the doors were locked and all the neighbors were home. I took a moment to remind myself this. Still, my heart quickened a bit as I stood there straining to see his or her shape in the darkness at the end of the garden. I had to keep glancing away to keep their fuzzy outline clear in my vision. They were standing very still and were a little thin, but that's all I could see. I I couldn't tell anything else. Oh, I said aloud. It was the garden umbrella leaning up against the back fence. I forgot that we used it for barbecues. (laughs) I smiled to myself, pleased that I didn't get too worked up and went upstairs to my bedroom. I laid on the bed and popped my head up on a pillow, opening my laptop on my stomach to see if anybody was online. Apparently, someone else was bored and saw my name pop up. Chris. Hey. Me. Hey, you okay? Chris. Yeah, bored. Are your parents still away? Me. For a couple more weeks. Chris. Why don't I come around? Me. I don't want to be rude, but I can't... Kind of can't be bothered to hang out tonight. (laughs) Thanks, though. Chris. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's cool. What about tomorrow? Me. Yeah, that sounds better. Chris. Cool. Uh, I'll be around about one o'clock. I've got some family stuff to do in the morning. Me. Okay. Chris. Do you still have a tent, by the way? We can camp in the garden or something. Me. Oh, a slumber party. I love you too, bro. Chris. (laughs) Whatever. You got the tent, though? Me. Yeah, somewhere. Let me check. Be right back. I got up from my bed and headed to check the cupboard under the stairs. I didn't know where the tent was, but it seemed a good place to start. I opened the cupboard door and started shifting coats aside. Some cardboard boxes were stacked up at the back and might be hiding it, so I started unstacking them. I took out a couple of the easy-to-reach ones and had a stroke of good luck as the tent bag came into view. I leaned over the other boxes and picked up the bag and took the big garden umbrella that sat beside it, too, just in case it rained tomorrow. I paused. I put the tent down. It took me a couple of seconds to get back to the kitchen window and focus on the darkness outside. My eyes weren't yet adjusted to the dark, so I couldn't see all the way to the back fence. Turning off the kitchen light, I leaned over the counter and continued staring at the same point. The other garden features began to fade into view one by one, fitting my previous mental image. I wasn't sure what I wanted to see. The darkness gave way to the familiar forms I knew, but after a while I was certain there still stood a figure against the back garden fence. 
It hadn't moved. I stood there for 15 minutes looking at it. I couldn't tell its shape properly, but it did look like someone standing there. I decided it wasn't a threat. I thought if I was any real danger, I would have been a lot more worried by now. And that thought kept me calm. But I also wanted to find out what it was. I couldn't stand there forever. I jogged upstairs, picked up my laptop, and brought it down to the uh, kitchen counter with me. Me. Could you come around now? Chris. Oh? Me. Yeah, yeah, I think I can see something in my garden. Chris. What is it? An animal? Me. No, it's tall. I, I thought it was an umbrella. Chris. And now you're sure it isn't? Me. I don't know. I thought it was someone, but... Now I'm sure it's not a person. It just looks weird. And I don't think it was there before. Chris. Before when? Me. I don't know. Earlier today, maybe. I can't remember. Chris. Are you scared? Me. I'd feel better if someone else was here. Chris. Well, I did offer to come around and I am bored. Me. So, yeah? Chris. Yeah, I'll come soon. Me. Cool, thanks. Use the front gate. I sat there watching the black shape lean against the fence for another ten minutes. Eventually, the doorbell rang. I opened it, and Chris ran in and bear-hugged me. It's been too long, Chris Mock cried. Yeah, yeah, must have been a whole day, I retorted, smiling. The torment, he replied, pretending to ignore me. Look, over here, I said, pushing him off and walking to the kitchen. I switched off the light and pointed in the figure's direction. Look. Give me a sec, said Chris. I can't see properly. A minute later, he noticed. That black thing? Yeah. Hmm. We both stood there looking at it for a while. I half expected it to be gone when he looked. He leaned over the counter. It's just a big plank or a plank of wood or something. Let's go watch TV. Will you check with me to make sure? I asked. Do you have a flashlight? He returned. No, I admitted. Well, we could check if we keep the kitchen light on and open the back door a little, he offered. I thought for a second and agreed, but said we should stay right by the house. We slipped on our trainers and opened the back door, stepping onto the patio. I felt the air was heavy and warm that night. Chris walked behind me. We stood very close to the door, peering at the back fence. Should we... I had just started to speak when he quickly stepped into the house again, still looking at the fence. What? I asked, following him in. I turned and realized that the figure was gone. It was obvious from the light coming from the back door that the fence and the rest of the garden was just as it always was. Where is it? Chris said. If it was leaning against the fence, it probably fell over into a bush or something. I tried to convince us both. 
We stared out for a few seconds longer and decided that we were too nervous to go and check. I don't usually give in to my night terrors, but now they were just beginning to click into my head. Uh, can you stay over for the night? I asked Chris. Um, yeah, sure. It didn't really sound like he wanted to. He kept his eyes on the fence. We both went inside and locked the door before going up to my room. I got out a sleeping bag for Chris and drew the curtains without looking outside into the garden again. We talked about stupid stuff for a couple of hours to take our minds off the garden and then fell asleep. In the morning, I found Chris's sleeping bag empty. I called out to Chris, and he said he was downstairs, so I threw on a t-shirt and went down. Sleep well? I asked. Yeah, pretty well, but I think... Oh, I kept thinking about the garden and stuff. Hey, did you find that tent? He returned. Er, yeah, I answered, remembering that shape which I had forgotten about until now. Well, uh... I was thinking about the camping thing and thought maybe we could bring the tent to my house. It would make just a change, you know. I didn't have to ask him why. I wasn't too keen on staying in my garden after last night. Wait, last night? Come to think of it, the sun was up and I wanted to check the garden while it wasn't pitch black. I asked Chris and he hesitantly agreed. We put on our trainers and stepped out into the garden. I don't know what we were so worried about. It was bright and colorful. The plants and bushes around the edges of the garden smelled good, and there was a bird in one of the small trees singing out for its mate somewhere. We walked to the back fence to find nothing out of place and looked over the bushes in front of the paneling to check if anything lay behind them. We found nothing. I walked around the edge of the whole garden once more while Chris tried whistling to the bird. It cocked its head from side to side, trying to figure him out. It was a warm day, perfect for camping that evening, I decided. We talked as we filled a couple of rucksacks with sleeping bags and some food from the kitchen. We didn't want to set up a fire, so we packed some tinned hot dogs, bread, a packet of tomatoes and chocolate, as well as some bottles of water. There's a forest just next to my house, which is actually pretty good, Chris explained. Our garden backs onto the edge of it. I stayed in a tent there once with my dad for my first little camping trip when I was like seven. I remember I was so excited at the time. I thought we were really roughing it like some hardcore mountaineers. Chris laughed at himself. If we get too cold or need more food, we can just go to my house. My parents are out, so we'll have free run of the place anyway. Yours are away too? I questioned. It's their anniversary, so they're out for the night, he explained. They're staying in a hotel the next town over. They'll be back in the morning. Apparently, leaving your kids behind was in fashion this summer. At about noon, we left my house with the two rucksacks, a sleeping bag for each of us, and the tent, and made our way to Chris's house. It was fairly close by, and a part of the same pleasant neighborhood, we talked and joked a lot, walking side by side, nodding and greeting a couple of the familiar neighbors as we went. It was a crazy nice day. The sun was almost too much. It was hot on our necks, and the trees by the sidewalk 
seemed to glow green from underneath as the sunlight passed through the leaves. The sprinkler offered us some water as we walked by one house, and it felt good on my hot arms. I was already sweating by the time we got to Chris's place. We hadn't been walking for more than 20 minutes. We didn't go inside his house immediately because it was so hot, so we went straight to his garden and dumped our bags in the shade. He wasn't joking. The gate of his garden backed straight onto an impressive forest. Very tall, thin trees stood high above the house and continued as far as I could see. Some bushes and shrubs littered the forest floor, but most of it was either grass or fairly smooth sections of dirt. I didn't see how this forest was classified as small. Looks good, right? He boasted. It's awesome, I admitted, opening the gate and surveying the area. I walked out in between the trees and found a flat spot for the tent. I turned around to ask, Chris's opinion and paused, a little disappointed. It didn't feel like real camping when his house was so obviously in our faces. Let's go a little further in, so at least it feels legit, I said, and walked back to pick up my bags. Chris objected to carrying his heavy shit any further. We walked in a straight line from Chris's house and kept checking behind us until the house was just about obscured by trees in front of each other. We'd only gone a very short way in, but the forest was already thicker and greener. There was even a long rope swing hanging from one of the trees, but it looked too old to hold our weight, so we decided to keep our spines unbroken and give it a miss. I unpacked the tent and set it up with Chris's help, and we threw our sleeping bags inside. I laid down inside to test it out. It was so warm and humid I had to adjust my breathing for a second. I stepped out again and asked Chris if he had a flashlight for the evening. I can do better than that, was his response, and he took off toward the house. I was too hot to run after him, so I opened my rucksack and cracked open a bottle of water, downing half of it and putting the rest back in the pack. I lay down on a patch of grass and looked up at the canopy. The leaves were gently shifting in a breeze I couldn't feel from down here, and I watched them sway and mesh together until I heard Chris return. Did you get a flashlight? I asked, closing my eyes. The sun shone through my eyelids and colored my vision red. I listened to the soft sound of his footsteps on the grass as he walked past me toward the rope swing. That's not going to hold you, I warned, as I heard him tug the branch with a small crack. He tugged it, and it creaked in response. I listened. He tugged it once more, and again. There was a moment of silence, as I guessed he was still waiting it up. And then another tug. He continued to tug a few more times, and the creaking followed each one. I was sure it wouldn't hold his weight, and I smiled, predicting one big creak and a snap as the rope of the branch broke. I waited for some final tugs to be made. Creak, creak. I waited still. Creak, creak, creak. Yo! I heard Chris's voice coming from his garden. I sat bolt, upright, 
almost spraining my neck as I snapped my head sideways to face his house. He was jogging through the trees holding an electric lantern. I switched my gaze in the other direction toward the rope swing. It was hanging still, nothing nearby. I stood up and turned full circle, nothing in any other direction. What? I mouthed to myself, walking toward the rope. I tugged it gently. It didn't creak. I pulled it harder. It didn't creak. My mouth went dry. I jumped up, grabbed hold, and yanked it down. The bench bent a little as my feet touched the floor, and it still didn't make a sound. I kept hold of it as I stared up toward the branches, but eventually the rope gave way under my weight somewhere in the middle, and a soft thud fell on my ears as the thick rope fell in front of me. Chris was rattling the lantern as he came by. I've never used this before. I got it for Christmas. For my cousin. She buys some weird presents. Oh, I see the swing's dead. Let's have a proper burial in memory of all the joy it gave us. I didn't respond. Continued looking up at the branch with half a rope swing tied to it. Hey, are you good? Chris followed my gaze. I thought you'd already come back, I said immediately. I wasn't the type to let things slide with an, oh, it's nothing. What? He replied. Someone walked by me and was messing around with the rope swing. Who was it? I don't know. Are they still around? I don't know. I had my eyes closed and was just laying there, I pointed. But then I heard you shout, so I looked around and there was nothing here. I heard them walk by my head. I felt a bit sick. Look, calm down for a second, Chris began. It's the middle of the day. We're 30 feet from my house. And even if it was a person, so what? It's just some public woods. Anyone can come through here. That made some sense, and he was right about it being public. But then, where were they? I glanced around one more time. However, the trees quickly layered up and I couldn't see far at all. I guess it was possible for me to lose track of someone here in a short distance. Okay, I said. Man, I can stay alone in the house for weeks on end, but I can't handle a short walk through the woods on a summer's day. That's why you brought some muscle, declared Chris, wielding the lantern above his head. And I laughed. We spent the day walking around the forest and returned to the tent to get some water when we were too hot. We talked about school and what our plans were for the future. We talked about dreams we'd had and ghosts and creatures that lurked in the dark. Neither of us were too scared of things like that, but they made for good camping stories. Chris told a particularly good one of a woman who lived in the woods... She had the head of a cat, and if you've heard her raspy meow, that meant she was trying to find you. If she stopped meowing, it signified that you were found, and she was quickly making her way towards you. It made my skin crawl a little, and we stopped telling stories soon after that. 
The light of day eventually faded, and it was getting hard to see, so we headed back to the tent for the night. The impressive heat during the day had killed our appetites, so we left the food for now and decided we'd eat it at night if we got hungry. Chris hung the electric lantern at the front of the tent, flicking it on as he did so. It was surprisingly bright and spilled a yellow light onto the ground and onto the trees that faced us. The warm glow looked dramatic, but whatever was beyond the light was hidden in blackness. Our immediate area was clear, but after a few paces, the light seemed to stop dead. It looked weird. Chris ducked under the tent opening, and I followed him. The sleeping bags looked inviting as the heat from earlier had gone, and it was too cold for shirts and shorts. We got inside and took the lantern with us. Can you hear meowing? I said. My head tilted as I strained to hear. Yeah, I can hear some bullshit, too. Chris smiled and zipped up his sleeping bag. Damn, I thought I had him. Oh, well. I zipped up my own bag and we laid there, talking for a little while. And then the exhaustion of such a hot summer's hit us, and we fell asleep. I had a dream that we were walking to Chris's house again, but there were more trees than before, and it was getting dark very quickly. I blinked, and suddenly it was night, with the forest sprawling in every direction. The rope swing hung in front of me. I turned around, and Chris was gone. I heard a creak behind me. A feeling came over me like I'd missed a step on the stairs. For some reason, I couldn't turn around. I started walking straight ahead, and the rope swing soon came into my view again. I was aware I was in a nightmare. The rope swing slowly lifted itself up into the trees, and I watched it disappear. I walked over and stood beneath where it had been, and there was a rustle above me. As I lifted my eyes to the canopy, a black figure with the head of a cat came hurtling downwards with its mouth open horrifically wide. One of its teeth touched my left eye, and I tore myself awake, gasping as I sat up in the tent. My back was damp with sweat, and Chris was asleep next to me. The lantern was still on, and I could see our backpacks at the end of the tent. I took a moment to breathe, and then let myself lay back down, my head thumping on the floor a little too hard. I winched and reached for the bottle of water to my side, downing a few mouthfuls. I couldn't fall asleep with the glow of the lantern on my eyelids, so I sat up and searched the tent for it. I quickly realized the light was coming from outside. Chris, I said, still confused from sleep, mumbled something in reply. Chris, where's the lantern? Uh, somewhere, he said slowly and sleepily before turning over. Looking around again, the light was obviously coming from outside. I weighed up the options. Either some murderer had snuck into our tent and done nothing but take the lantern outside, or we didn't actually bring it into the tent and I had remembered wrongly. That sounded more convincing, so I knelt by the tent door and unzipped it. From the opening, I looked around. It wasn't immediately obvious where the glow was coming from. Why couldn't I see it? 
I looked up. The lantern was resting twenty feet in the air, hanging in the dark. Goosebumps swept across my skin, and I zipped up the door before shaking Chris. Chris, please, wake up! He heard the urgency in my voice and sat up. What? What's wrong? Chris said, rubbing his eyes. The lantern's hanging outside. But I brought it in, he assured me. I felt sick as my reasoning broke. We both looked at the front of the tent. We should go back to the house, I said, my resolve buckling. I was just a kid in a forest whose parents were away. I'm not walking through the dark, he replied. Chris was now looking worried. We've got a lantern, I stopped myself. We looked at the front of the tent again. We couldn't sit there forever. We were getting scared as we sat there doing nothing. So this was the plan. We weren't going to go back to sleep. We would get the lantern back somehow, leave everything there, and spend the night in Chris's house. I hated being the one to go first. I wanted to turn back, even just crouching by the tent entrance. Unzipping the fabric door, I looked around. Nothing. I peered over the tent behind us. Nothing in sight, literally. Nothing. Everything was black outside of the light. I took a step out, and it was cold. Chris said the same as he stood right by my side, looking over his shoulder. He turned back and saw the lantern in the air. Oh, my God. We stood there looking at it for a few seconds. It seemed to crawl by. Eventually, I worked out which tree it was hanging from. The broken rope swing at my feet confirmed it. Way up, out of reach, the lantern hung above our heads, tied to the other end of the rope that still dangled from the darkness. I couldn't work it out. It was high up, too high up for even a ladder. The trees were thin and bare, besides the leaves that made up the canopy. There was nowhere to climb. Picking up the length of rope that had snapped off earlier, I bundled it up and tied a knot and aimed at the lantern. I took a step back and jumped, tossing it into the air. It caught the lantern on its side and sent it swinging. It threw shadows rocking around us. I suddenly wished it hadn't hit it. The light made the shadows lean from side to side with the lantern. The horrible, unnatural swaying made me panic and my eyes became wet as fear took a solid hold of me. I picked up the rope again and lobbed it desperately at the lantern. I missed and the bundle of rope sailed off into the darkness. Helplessly, I turned to Chris, who had already grabbed his backpack. He span around and threw it with a yelp and it hit the lantern dead on. It fell and thudded to the floor with a crack, but the light was still on. I ran to pick it up. I turned to Chris and almost cried with relief. Okay, go, 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 let's go, I urged, and he started jogging quickly towards his house as I followed. We half ran, half stumbled off into the dark, checking over our shoulders and working ourselves up as our thoughts were consumed by everything that may be waiting in the trees for us. I don't know how long we were moving, but it soon became apparent that Chris's house wasn't in this direction. For God's sakes, where is it? 
Chris said, tension taking hold of his voice. We'll have to find a tent and try again. A couple of tears were forming at the corners of his eyes. They were probably on mine too, but my heart was thumping so hard I didn't notice. Okay. I took a breath and we turned around, heading in a straight line directly behind us. What if we didn't find the tent? I couldn't stop myself thinking that over and over as we retraced our steps. We walked for what seemed like twice as long before the light finally fell on the side of the tent. We ran up and stood close to its side, looking around to try and figure out which direction we should go. The silence was like the build-up of a nightmare, right before some horrible thing lurches out at you, screaming. The comparison made me gag, and I scrunched my eyes shut, the hair on my skin lifting. My temples were so hot it felt like, like my brain was thudding against the inside of my skull. I couldn't begin to guess where the house was. We could see about ten feet from the lantern, then pitch black. There were no clues. Every direction looked wrong. Chris took the lantern from me and walked in a small circle, straining his eyes to try and see. I stayed put. Chris, turn it off. I whispered to him hurriedly. What? he asked. I stepped quickly and quietly towards him, bringing my face to his. There's something in the tent. His gaze shifted past me, towards the tent, and he stood there, staring. We were standing on the left-hand side of the tent, and from this angle I could just about see the unzipped door hanging open. But I remembered living it that way, so that wasn't what was making me clench my teeth together. A few feet away, my rucksack sat outside on the dry earth with the food I had packed, now neatly arranged, trailing from it. Our sleeping bags were also nicely laid out end-to-end, making the line of belongings lead straight into the mouth of the tent. I took a careful step forward so the light could pass more easily through the fabric. It couldn't have been a trick of the light. Something big and dark was obviously crouched, with what I guessed was its front facing the open door. I hated myself for not seeing it sooner. It didn't move at all or seem to breathe. It just sat, waiting for us to investigate the display it had made. Turn it off, I whispered again. Chris continued staring, deaf to me. Chris! I pleaded in a whisper. A voice from nearby joined in. Chris! We both heard it, and the blood fell in our veins. It came from the tent. A slow, strained rasp of a voice that sounded like a parrot copying a new word. The sound clicked across my skin and crept into my ears. The light flicked off with a click that was too loud. Chris grabbed my shoulder, and I clenched my fists closed, painfully tight. We stood there in complete darkness. I didn't want to move, and I didn't want to stay. My brain fought for control as my legs waited for a decision rooted in place. 
We breathed shallow, quiet breaths, blackness pressing on our eyes like water. Sweat ran down my neck. I, I couldn't see the tent. Chris, something said. Turn it off. My stomach flipped inside out as the thing in the tent played with my words. I quickly grabbed Chris's hand, yanking him in the opposite direction. I ran like I never had before, Chris's legs thudding alternatively with mine. The sprint continued for about a minute. We lost ourselves as we ran through absolute darkness. I forgot where we were, and I couldn't see what was in front of my face. I ran head-on into a tree. My forehead struck its side with a sickening, hollow knock. Sparks lit up inside my eyes as I choked back the pain. It hurt so much, I couldn't breathe. Chris tried to pull me on, but I buckled to the floor on my knees and threw up. As I collapsed onto my back, my head went numb. Chris lifted me up. Please, don't stop. Please, please, he begged. I couldn't reply. Please, please keep going. I forced my legs to take my weight as I locked my knees upright, leaning on Chris. My body felt empty, and a little blood rolled down my forehead and into my brow. I wept it away as I tried to grasp the situation again, but the pain was too much. Wait, I can't, I begged. Just, just wait, just wait. We stood together in the inky woods, but we could have been anywhere. I couldn't see Chris as he huddled next to me. It didn't feel like darkness. It felt like someone had wrapped my head in a blanket. Neither of us said a word as we waited, but our breathing was loud, and I wondered from what distance it could be heard. Reality began to return to me, and the pain was now just about bearable. I straightened up, grasping at what was happening. The pins of fear sank into me a second time, and I started counting in my head. One minute passed without any sound in the world. The wind was dead, and the birds might be too. Another minute went by. I continued counting. Three minutes. We were still alone. Was it even looking for us? I reached for Chris's arm in the dark. He jumped when I touched it, but I steadied him with the other. He was still holding the lantern. It was good. We had light on our side. Now, if we could only use it, I went over the events hurriedly in my mind. The lantern was hanging from a tree. We got out of the tent and couldn't find our way home. By the time we returned to the tent, something was in it. But then, why did it take the lantern and do nothing while we slept? If it was sheer luck that we were alone when we were trying to get to the lantern, I wondered just how small the possibility was of us getting a second chance. I stayed silent for a moment, and then whispered as best I could, Chris, we need to turn on the lantern. We need to freaking get away from here. We can make a run for your house, but we need to see. No, please. We have to stay here. Chris tried to whisper, too. We can wait for morning if we have to. You can't turn it on. I could hear in his voice that a sob was breaking through. Just keep quiet. You freaking have to. Please. I parted my lips to try again, but as I did, I heard something. A very faint clicking sound from somewhere in the dark. It was almost inaudible, but it was there. 
an irregular, stuttering clicking sound. It sounded fingernails on a wooden table, and it was moving. It came from in front of us. I was sure of it. A steady click-clack-click filled my ears as we tried to gauge the distance. It was drawing closer. Click-click-clack. It stopped. I was glad, for the first time in my life, that I couldn't see what was waiting in the dark. Perhaps that meant we were also hidden. As my thoughts fired off in every direction, I gave the thing in the darkness the image of a cat-headed woman, and it terrified me. I was just waiting to hear that meow, but my ears were met with something else. Chris! I tensed my throat and tried not to cry. Chris! It said his name twice. I cupped my hand over my mouth. The horrible, scraping dialogue sounded a few steps away. The words were said oddly, with no meaning behind them. They were just sounds that this thing had picked up and was now using them to catch us out in the dark. Chris let go of my hand, and I heard his foot plant softly on the grass behind him as he prepared to run. Don't you dare, I tried to project into his mind. Don't you make a sound. Chris, please. It sounded so wrong, drawn out like a door slowly opening. Chris let out a whimper as it called him. I froze and waited for something, anything to happen. There was a long silence, and I held my breath for as long as I could. I couldn't wait any more. Very slowly, I reached out to Chris and put my hand on his shoulder, and very carefully, we both lifted our feet and managed to step without making a sound. We stepped away from the voice and didn't stop moving, but ever so carefully, so, so slowly, I didn't care how long it would take us to get somewhere. If it took us an hour every step, we were going to get out. Chris backed into a tree and gasped audibly. The clicking started up immediately. Click, click, clack, click. It rolled on, consistently moving towards us. I didn't know what to do. All I could think of was to screw my eyes shut and try not to scream. As we stood there, the clicking came to a stop an arm's length away from where we stood. Silence. Chris, turn it on, please. Fear took over. Chris switched on the light and tore off in the other direction without looking behind him. I wheeled in place and held that lantern in my sight like nothing else existed. We didn't dare look at the thing. But we could hear it. Our footsteps thudded on the grass, and the thing pursued us with a tap, 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 now like scurrying little claws on hard earth. As I ran desperately to catch up to the light, the sound suddenly rose up behind me and over our heads in between the trees. This wasn't happening. It was going to drop down on us. Turn! 
I screamed. I didn't care anymore. If we were going to get out with our lives, we were going to have to run for them. We suddenly changed course. The tapping stopped for a moment, long enough for us to gain a few feet before it came in our direction again. My legs were cramping horribly, and Chris was gasping hard. We couldn't keep this up. Where were we? I saw the light from the lantern come to an abrupt halt up ahead. I didn't have time to stop and braced myself to thump into Chris, but the light passed beneath my feet. He had dropped the lantern. I turned my head and watched it recede into the darkness. It was immediately too far for me to go back. The thing would be on me in a second. Chris was crying and wiping tears from my cheeks as I ran, preparing for my face to connect with a tree at any moment. Keep going, I heard Chris from up ahead. There's a light. My vision was blurry from tears, but but could see it, an orange glow hanging in the air in the distance. Another one? What was happening? I wanted to scream at him to avoid it, but I realized it was a street light. My legs felt like I was running through water, but I pushed them harder with a goal in sight. Gradually and painfully, the light drew closer, as did the clicking. This thing could move like nothing I knew. I saw Chris's figure pass underneath the streetlight. Then he was gone again. Don't stop, I yelled as I approached the edge of the forest, and my legs adjusted to the forest floor gave way to solid footing. I could see a row of more streetlights leading off to the right, and Chris's figure was passing regularly underneath each. When I was sure I was completely out of the trees, I didn't stop. I ran under several more streetlights, putting as much distance as I could manage between us and the edge of the woods. I realized after a while that the clicking had stopped. I needed to see we were okay. I turned my head and looked back along the row of lights, keeping my gaze on the first light. My pace slowed as the pain in my head and legs came back. There was silence once more, and the lights revealed an empty pathway. I jogged on and kept my eyes on the glow, expecting to see something at any minute, but it lit up nothing but concrete in the edge of the road. Is it there? The question pulsed in my mind over and over. As I turned my head to continue catching up to Chris, I caught sight of something pass under the first streetlight. An almighty shock went through me as my fears were confirmed. I let out a cry and picked up the pace once more, sprinting between the lights. The image was burned into my mind. I hardly caught a glimpse of the thing, but it was white and massive. It almost brushed the street light as it went under it. It had a long, upright body full of kinks, like it had just unfolded itself, and that's all I was able to tell. It must have had a face and limbs, but I didn't have time to see. I didn't look again. The path gave way to more lights, and soon I could see the glow of windows and some houses either side of the road. I recognized where we were, close to my house by some miracle. A little further and we would be there. My house, I yelled, and Chris listened, turning left onto a side street and dashing down. With panic on my side, I reached the turning and looked down the street to see Chris jumping the fence into my garden. 
Hurry up! I heard him scream. Reaching the fence, I planted my hands on top, hoisting myself over and shredding my elbows in the process. My ankles stung as I thudded into the garden and sprinted toward the kitchen door. Chris stepped aside, gasping for air as I fumbled the key into the lock and wrenched it sideways. We both flew into the kitchen and slammed the door behind us. I locked it from the inside and we both sprinted upstairs into a bathroom, locking it behind us. What was that? I managed to say in a panicked whisper, wondering if it would get in. Did you see it? No. Chris crouched under the window, letting tears roll. Shit. It was so tall. It was... It was I couldn't... Don't tell me. Chris cut me off. I molded over again and again as we sat there. Minutes slowly ticked into hours. My head was fizzing all the while and I still could hear its voice. That disgusting voice. My elbows and forearms were sticky with blood and we both looked at the floor, the occasional sob coming from the two of us. Our hearts banged in our chests and we spent the night that way. Light streamed in from the window, but we didn't unlock the bathroom door until noon. We crept downstairs. The kitchen door was still locked, and nothing was in the house. I looked out of the living room window. Another perfect day. No people walked by, but the sprinklers were on, and I could hear birds again. It helped calm our nerves. The tent can stay there, I said at last. Yeah, Chris agreed. We stayed in the living room with the TV off all day. We didn't know what to do and talked about if we should call the police or something. The day crawled by as we tried to rake our thoughts together and think of what to do next, but all that went through my mind was what had just happened, not what we should be doing. By the time it was dark at about 9 p.m., the phone rang. It was Chris's parents asking if I had seen him as they were getting worried. They had just got back from out of town. I let them know he was okay and asked if they could come and pick us both up from my house because something had happened. They wanted to know what, but I said we'd both tell them when they get here. They said they'd be here soon. Relief washed over us as adults were on their way to make everything all right. They would believe us. We didn't lie about these things. Even if they were skeptical, at least they'd believe that some dangerous animal was in the forest, and that was good enough for us. I went into the kitchen to get some juice from the fridge and realized I hadn't had a drink all day. I could hear water dripping in the sink, so I turned the faucet tighter and glugged some juice. As I headed towards the living room, the water started to tap again. I flicked the light on and realized... It wasn't coming from the sink or anywhere in the room, for that matter. It sounded like it was coming from further away. I looked out into the garden and could just about see a fuzzy, tall silhouette leaning up against the back fence in the dark. Actually, the tapping sounded more like clicking. The figure slowly moved away from the fence and clicked across the grass toward the house. Please! 
This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Thanks for joining me this week for tonight's regularly scheduled Tales of Terror. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Tonight's program has been brought to you by Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly, your host, Otis Jiry. Got a scary tale of your own you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to us today at submissions at chillingtalesfordarknights.com for your chance to have me bring your sinister story to life. If you enjoyed what you heard and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a comment for your chance to be entered into a weekly prize drawing. Your feedback means a lot to us. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and bell notification icon to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. If you can never get enough spooky stories and can't wait until next week for more and haven't already, be sure to check out Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on YouTube for more than 500 free audio horror stories or the Otis Jiry channel, my own digital home away from home, where you'll find dozens of previously released horror and sci-fi stories from yours truly. If you'd like to connect with or support me and CTFDN, visit the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights Facebook page or at their website, chillingtalesfordarknights.com, where you can support our programs by becoming a patron and get access to hundreds of stories, all ad-free. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with another pair of terrifying tales that'll keep you up all night. Who needs sleep anyway? Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. 
Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.